just get set up here. Okay, reading from Mark 16, verse 1 to 8. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they could go and anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting at, on the right side and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You were looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb and they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Thank you, Derek. Awesome. Um, yes, as Derek said, I'm Matthew. Um, just want to thank you all for letting me preach here today. Um, I'm his son-in-law, so it's, it's not nepotism that I'm up here. But um, yeah, nonetheless. So I just want to pray as we um, just head into this morning. and yeah. Father, we just want to thank you that you sent your son. We thank you that by his resurrection, we know that everything that he said and that everything that he did was true. We know now and we can stand in that new life which you have given through him. And we just pray that we would experience that today, that through the words that we hear, the things that we sing, Father, that you would just bring us a sense of joy and a sense of your presence and that you would continue to be at work in us through your spirit to just know and to love you more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, so, yeah. So heading into this, um, I just want to say that, you know, Easter is a, a very interesting time for all of us. You know, it's, it makes us think of what was before, what happened in Israel and with Jesus and all that stuff that happened. But, you know, especially on Easter Friday, when we come into a service, we're thinking it's very solemn, it's very heavy. Especially if you've been in one of those churches where they've really emphasized it, maybe a more traditional church. You know, you sit there, maybe even tell you, don't, you know, as you leave the service, just, you know, don't speak, just enter out into the foyer and just, you know, to really emphasize the heaviness of it. And then yet, as soon as we're out of there, man, we're thinking hot cross buns, we're thinking chocolate, we're thinking backyard cricket, whatever it might be, our minds are very far from the idea that Jesus is dead, you know. And... I mean, no, it's completely understandable. We already know the end of the story. Jesus rose from the dead. But we've got to think about the people that were there 2,000 years ago. Think about Mary. Think about John as he was sitting there. All those women, all the people who were there thinking, man, this is the guy who's going to save us. This is the promised Messiah. And he's just dead. You know, we know the end of the story. You know, we know that Sunday is coming. But man, they're just... You know, they should know. He said it, but yet they are just without any hope. He's dead. What could possibly happen now? And so while we don't always think about that, we don't think about what happened to them and we forget it because Easter's happy. Easter's a great time to celebrate. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. But this is just to help us remember of what actually happened on that day. And so it was ultimately a hopeless day. You know, just think about Mary as she was sitting there. You know, we know she was at the cross. She was sitting there 
staring up, looking at her son there on that cross, dead. The, the one who, the angel came to her and said, this is the Messiah who will save his people from their sins. And he's dead. What could, you, we can't even imagine the kind of like turmoil that that would bring, how much grief she would be in. Like, she hasn't just lost hope. It's not that her firstborn son, firstborn son is dead. Man, but like, the hope for all of Israel, for the hope for the whole, all of us right here, right now, was dead. And so, what kind of hope could they possibly find in such a dark moment? You know, we just want to sit and remember just how dark that was. And, you know, maybe just thinking about it, you know, a couple of nights before then, they had celebrated the Passover. All of... You know, Jesus gathered with his disciples and they celebrated the Passover. That was a celebration from 1,500 years before that where Jesus had passed over the, all of the Jewish Israelites and while they were in Egypt waiting to be taken to the promised land, but Pharaoh was holding them. And so the angel of death passed over all that were in the land and killed every firstborn son. And, you know, it even says as... God was threatening the plague against Pharaoh. He declared, "There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there is, such as there never has been, nor ever will be." The deaths would have been in the thousands. There was like four million people in Egypt at that rate, and so you can't even imagine how many people would have died. Like it would have been a staggering night. Like he, the like the feeling of the parents in that moment would have just been absolute agony, and yet. And that's exactly what Mary would have been feeling. That's what his closest friends and family and everyone who followed him. You know, people would have seen this happy, compassionate Jesus filled with joy. And yet, how can he be sitting on a cross? Sitting on a cross that's meant for criminals. That's just not something that should be happening. So that Saturday, 2,000 years ago, was the most hopeless and the darkest day that this world has ever known. And... You know, while we have the thought of resurrection on our minds as we leave, as we did this Friday and as we did all the Fridays before that, it's not on their minds. They are not thinking resurrection. They are thinking, I I can't even imagine. I I wouldn't even know what they'd be thinking because they're still sitting in their sins there. So that's the context which we jump into Mark 16. So as we said, we're reading from this passage, Mark 16 here, and it said, you know, before that essentially we start in the Friday, which we all attended. That Friday, right before the Sabbath, and then Mark 1, we jump right into Resurrection Sunday. That whole Sabbath is just completely jumped over. And as we've just been talking about, it wasn't the Saturday that we all experienced. It wasn't a Saturday of joy and rejoicing and all that kind of stuff. No, it was a terrible Saturday. But nonetheless... We know that there's hope coming, but these people don't know that yet. So we see here they're walking through. And so the women the night before, so this is Mary Magdalene, Salome. So these would have been women who were very close to Jesus' disciples, people who he knew and who loved him. And so they prepared spices the day day before. Um, They got some stuff after the Sabbath to anoint his body because, you know, just you imagine a decaying body. Like if we've ever been even around a dead carcass or animal, it stinks. It's putrid, especially in like Jerusalem, like here, it's hot and dry. And so it would just fill your noses. Like even just an example from the Bible. So, you know, Lazarus, not that long ago beforehand, was also resurrected from the dead. But, you know, before Jesus rolled the stone away, or they asked for the stone to be rolled away, Martha, his 
Lazarus' sister, asked, oh, you know, she objected to it, as the KJV puts it, but Lord, by this time, he stinketh. And so, you know, you can just imagine, like, it's not just that, oh, no, he's stinky. It's like, no, don't even open that, roll roll that tomb away, the stone away, because it will, like, it's potent. And so what these women was doing is, like, you know, pretty amazing that they're willing to put up with it, let alone the fact that for Israelite women, if you were to touch a dead body, you would, you were ceremonially, ceremonially unclean. So they couldn't participate in like any social life. They had to distance themselves from people. They had to be like Jesus was when he was on the cross. They had to be outside the camp and they could not interact like normal people do because they had to wait and cleanse themselves over a period of several days. And so the fact that they were willing to do this for someone who, you know, while they knew him as Jesus was crucified as a like criminal, he didn't, no one would think that he was deserving of such honourable things, but yet they did this anyway. And you also see, you know, they're walking along and they're, ask, they're asking a question to themselves. You know, and it says it right here, because they knew that there was a large tombstone in the way. Now this thing was like one or two tonnes, and let alone that, it also sat in a groove in the bedrock. So you imagine that, like, it would have been a hassle to move it to start with. Once it's in that groove, you are not moving that thing. Like, there's a reason. They did not want people getting in there and grave robbing and these kinds of things. So they made it virtually impossible for people to get in. And now, and obviously, I don't know why they thought they would be able to anoint the body. But they wanted to, and they genuinely had a belief, oh, we'll, we'll have some way to get in. But we look at what they're thinking in this passage, and they're just wondering, oh, I wonder how we'll do it. Not a clue at all. And so we definitely see what they're thinking. Oh, well, there'll be a dead body we need to anoint. What they're definitely not thinking is that Jesus will be raised from the dead. So, you know, you think they're walking towards the tomb. They're very somber, you know, maybe thinking about, oh, you know, all the, all the great memories they had with Jesus, how he's so compassionate to them. Especially Mary Magdalene. She was a prostitute with eight demons in her, or seven demons, I'm not quite sure. But she was like this woman who had been touched by Jesus. And so, you know, they're probably recounting memories, thinking about, oh, man, that's what a great man he was, but sad and sorrowful. And one thing they definitely weren't thinking, Jesus is going to be raised from the dead. Now, this is like a very important thing to observe because we're so quick to affirm, oh, you know, as I've said, we're so quick to think Jesus rose from the dead. He was resurrected. The idea of resurrection we jump to so quickly and we're so nonchalant that a man that was very much dead, who had no life left in his body, who was visibly beaten, scarred and crucified. One of the most horrific things that can possibly happen to them. It was meant to guarantee that they are dead. He was, yeah, and he was seen and touched by people he loved and all these kinds of things. And they did not have any hope that he be, rose from the dead. But we so quickly affirm that, oh, of course, yeah, Jesus rose from the dead. We know he did. But why are we so quick to affirm that? We don't, you know, these women who knew him so well, like he even told them that he would raise, be rose from the dead and they didn't believe that. Why are we so quick to affirm it? We, we haven't even seen Jesus. And so we see why, you know, honestly, it's just to expose that, yeah, we are so quick to affirm it, but do we really process what the actual resurrection was? And... So, you know, this is continually emphasized, you know, as the woman 
they're going and they, you know, they come up to the tomb and they see it stone rolled away. Well, that's impossible. Uh, okay, a bit confused. They're not really too sure what's going on. And then, better yet, they walk in and there's nobody. What, what, do, we, what do we do with that? What do we, you know, I can tell you what was going through their head and it wasn't Jesus rose from the dead because that's not the logical... They're not thinking about resurrection. That's not in their minds. What are they thinking? What any logical person would go to? Well, where's the body and who moved it? Let alone all the things that amount to it would be virtually impossible to move it. Logically, that's the only place you could arrive at. And so we also see there's something unexpected, though, also in this tomb. And the one thing that sets it apart from if any other person had their grave robbed, that this probably wouldn't be there. And that is an angel, or at least it says a man dressed in a white robe, normally interpreted as an angel. And obviously, as we read, he said to them, you seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen and he is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee, just as he told you. Now, the women, like, obviously going back to the women, they were, you know, hearing this, they were just, as if you see an angel, you're probably not going to be like, sup, bro. Like, you're not just, yeah, taking that as something normal. That's something very out of the normal. And so they were, it says, they were feared with fear and astonishment at, at what he said, like, surely this kind of, you know, they spent the last two days mourning this guy. How, could, how can he be raised from the dead? And so the angel shows the blindness of their hearts in this very moment. Because, you know, we're so quick to affirm it, but, like, think about these women, you know, they, they, most of them would have known Lazarus. They, so, you know, they knew that resurrection was possible. They knew people could be raised from the dead. And then, on top of that, he said it several times that he would see them again, that he would have to die and be buried and that he would raise again in three days. He says it in Mark 8, Mark 9, and Mark 10. And let alone that, you know, we can go all the way back. You know, he said he was the Messiah. This is the promised one from like Genesis 3. You know, it says there's the offspring who will crush the serpent's head. That was Jesus on the cross. And man, there is like so, it's astounding how many prophecies there are that he fulfilled. And they're all laid out through the story of Israel in the Old Testament. And then, you know, we come here and Jesus is like fulfilled all of them. He said he would do these things like, and they believed him. They're like, this is the Messiah. He's come. And then as soon as he's dead, ah, no, all hope is lost. It's done. Ah, well, what are we to do with that? Ah. So you just, again, this angel's just exposing them. They're like fear and astonishment. Just their hearts are so blind to the fact that Jesus said all these things, but they still did not believe. So, yeah, yeah even to just to add, um, especially to the fact of all this stuff that we're hearing, that, you know, he was, well, yeah, with the women and all that. Mark ends his gospel in a very interesting way. You might see there, it does say that, yeah, there's a longer ending there, but the reality is that was added by people later on we're not sure where, but to help explain why Mark ended it like this. Because, and look, most people genuinely accept he did actually end it at verse 8. And, you know, what do you even do with that? Because verse 8, there's no resurrection, account of the resurrection, no account of any of these things that he said he would do. And so what do we do? All we're left with is, where is it? And they went out and fled from the tomb, 
for trembling and astonishment that season, and they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. What do you do with an ending like that? What, what kind of things does it like raise in you? Because, you know, and I think part, part of the reason why Mark is ending it so abruptly is because he doesn't want to give you the answers. He actually wants you to question in yourself. He doesn't want you to just be, again, like we always do on Easter Friday, oh, resurrection. He wants you to think, did Jesus actually raise from the dead? Did this man do the impossible? And so, better yet, we're left with this staggering question. Did the women who actually were entrusted with this unbelievable message actually go and tell the disciples, actually go and tell the world? Now, obvious, obviously, they did. You know, that seems like a bit of a stupid question. And, yeah, you know, while it seems very stupid and that kind of thing, it's, it's, he, again, wants to labour this point that resurrection's not normal, that he wants you to actually go back and search through the scriptures, that he wants you to see for yourself, not just rely on what everyone says on Easter, that Jesus rose from the dead, but actually see, okay, so he said he would go before them to Galilee just as he told you. Okay, did he say those things? Was he the promised Messiah? Were the women who lost hope in him wrong to lose hope in him? And because by wrestling with that, we actually get a far deeper assurance of the resurrection than simply going on a Sunday and hearing Jesus rose from the dead. <laughs> you know, a little fun fact that we almost know. And even to add to this, like, I think it's just staggering that we're actually here today based on the testimony of these women. Like, they were the first bringers of the good news. They were the first ones who heard of the gospel resurrection. And best yet, like, you know, while obviously we don't see this in our day, back then, women were not seen as credible witnesses. Like, they could not be used in a court of law. And, you know, obviously we see that as very wrong nowadays. But back then, that was just how it was. So to actually, for, G, for the first people to be revealed to them that Jesus had been resurrected as to be women is astounding. Like, there's... You know, while we would believe them back then, the Jewish men would not have believed them. Most of the world would not have believed them. But yet we are now sitting in the very fact that they, that they were believed. You know, we're sitting in a people with a bunch of, sorry, sitting in a building with a bunch of people from all kind of different walks of life, celebrating the crucifixion of a Jewish carpenter who died halfway around the world 2,000 years ago. Now, you know, whether you wanted to be dragged here, or not wanted to be dragged here, whether you wanted to be here, you were dragged here, you know, maybe with a promise of extra chocolate or something like that. You're here because Jesus died and was resurrected 2,000 years ago. This whole building, this entire campus, and billions of people around the world who are currently doing right what we're doing right now, which is worshipping the resurrected Jesus, all happened because of that very thing of some guy that died 2,000 years ago, and we think that he's still alive today. Now, that's just something that seems crazy to me, but we're standing in the evidence of it. And so, like, I want us to be in awe of the resurrection. I want us not to treat it nonchalantly and, like, just think it's a simple thing. Because it's not. Someone being raised from the dead stretches the limits of our brains, and it should the fact that it happened 2,000 years ago and that we're worshipping the guy is just... We are not normal people. Like, that's not a normal thing to do. Billions of people may do it, but that is not what makes it normal, you know? And so, yeah, I just think it's an astounding thing. And 
Lua. I just want to help, like, just, you know, with an example, just imagine if someone came up to you and told you that one of your treasured loved ones, someone you knew and touched and loved, was, you know, and who had passed away, was now walking around town looking for you. You know, you would not instantly be like, you're probably right. Yeah, that's it, yeah. I'll, where are they? I'll go talk to them. No, you were in disbelief and you're saying that you're, you're crazy and a liar. You know, you, you do not believe that person. So then why are we so quick to affirm that Jesus rose from the dead? You know, so we've, we've grounded ourselves in, in that. So now I want to I jump over to 1 Corinthians 15. So it was written about 25 years after the resurrection of Jesus. And this is essentially written by Paul. And it's showing that he actually, that the testimony of the women was passed and was believed by the leaders of the church in that day, Paul being one of the utmost leaders. And so I just want to read from verses three to five because it yeah, almost directly mirrors what the angel said to them. So it says, For I delivered you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve. So this shows the fulfillment of what the angel said. You will seek Nazareth, you seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, the man who bare who bore our sins. He has risen on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and he is not here. He appeared to Peter, he appeared to the twelve. It Paul, twenty-five years afterwards, is attesting to the fact that what those women saw and told everyone was true because he's repeating it 25 years later. So we see a central figure in Christianity believing these women and an entire church in the middle of a pagan nation being built on it. Like, that's a crazy thing. And that's what we're built on right now is that Jesus rose from the dead. That's the whole point of everything here right now. And now a bit further down the page, we see in verse 12... We see Paul defending the testimony of Jesus' resurrection because he was contending against people who said, oh, well, Jesus might be raised from the dead, but oh, people, but, you know, believers will not be raised from the dead. And he wants to show why well, this is just oh, silly. And he says, now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise. If it is true that the dead are not raised, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ is raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. And then those, of, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we have all people most to be pitied. Now, it's very repetitive, and, but the whole point that he's trying to labor, if Christ isn't raised from the dead, everything falls by the wayside. The testimony of these women is central because if we lose that testimony, oh man, we are just done for. We have no hope. And so, you know, he, he continues to, you know, expand. So this is one of the reasons why I believe in the resurrection. He says, for our preaching is in vain. So everything that I'm saying up here right now, if Jesus has not been resurrected, you shouldn't be listening to me. There is no point in this. There is no hope here. May as well go home and eat chocolate and enjoy yourself. 
Better yet, you could listen to them. You know, I'm not necessarily an amazing preacher. You could go listen to some of the best preachers, you know, whether you're into fire and brimstone or you're into really charismatic, something like that. You can listen to any of them. It's not, no use, completely useless. No point in listening to it. And better yet, also, better yet, your own faith is completely in vain. If Jesus is not raised, no point sitting here on a Sunday. There is nothing to celebrate, nothing to mourn even. You may as well just continue on with your life. And that is a sad reality. Christianity is a complete and utter waste of time if Jesus is not raised from the dead. This is why resurrection is so important. Because without it, we're still in our sins. God, righteous anger still burns against us. And we of all people are most to be pitied. It's exactly what Paul says. Because without it, we have no hope. Jesus was not raised. (laughs) We're still under the punishment of our own sin. We're in the hands of this angry God and there is no refuge in which we, can, which we can run, no place in which we can hide from the punishment we all deserve. But thanks be to God, Jesus was raised from the dead. Oh, man. Everything rests upon that because when he rose, it was a declaration that he bore our sins upon the cross. That it was actually true. When he went down into the depths, when he actually died, you know, he had done the work. He had bore our sins and all that. But when he was raised... That was God saying, he's not meant to be there because he's innocent. He has, he's taken all the punishment. And because he took our punishment, that means we're not meant to be there either. While, yes, obviously, we will experience death. We don't really. In the Bible, it talks about it as falling asleep because for all intents and purposes, we fall asleep and we're raised again. And oh man, look at that. It was like death has no, longer, no, no hold on us because we're united with Christ. We are just like him. We'll be raised again. Oh, man. So there are many reasons to believe in the resurrection. You know, there's the profound impact it had on the people that heard the testimony of the women. Or even throughout the hundreds of years afterwards, there are people who martyred themselves. You know, people who were flogged and beaten and killed because they believed this one simple thing, that a man in Jerusalem who said he was the son of God was raised from the dead. And better yet, there's like an astounding amount of like when people when scholars seem to go through this, even secular people and are genuinely objective, there is so much evidence to point to the fact that it actually did happen as unbelievable as it is. And so it's almost easier to believe that he rose from the dead than that he didn't. But when Mark ended his gospel, all he left you with was some scared woman's testimony and Jesus' words that he would be faithful to what he said. We do not get scientific facts, and that's not what Mark wants us to lean on. What he actually wants us to lean on is the person of Jesus Christ. That's why these women, they shouldn't have needed scientific facts or experience or any of these things. But Jesus, who said he was the Messiah, who they believed he was, said he would raise again. And yet they didn't believe him. So we want our trust in the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, not to be because we go to church on the Sunday or because of the scientific facts, or because of those things. But because, even though there may be a helpful segue to get there, when we actually encounter the risen Jesus, to be, I don't, I don't have faith in the facts. I have faith in the fact that you said you were the Son of God, and that you actually rose from the dead, and because you said you would. So Mark doesn't end on some triumphant note. He doesn't leave us with, woo, resurrection, look at it, account of everything, and just so neatly packed 
but he leaves us in the mess to figure out, was Jesus really resurrected? There will always be people who doubt the science. There will always be people who doubt your experience when you say that Jesus rose from the dead, that you've even experienced him. But Mark wants to comfort us who will never physically encounter him in our life, who will never actually see Jesus with our eyes before he returns. Because, yeah, look, it's, life is a messy one of, it, doesn't almost, it almost doesn't seem at times like Jesus really did die. Right? It doesn't seem like he's reigning right now because constantly we're hitting up against walls. We're not triumphantly running through life. You know, it's not a neatly packaged Christian life. But rather, Mark ends it this way to show that it really is messy and we actually have to wrestle with these things because it is through wrestling with them that we actually find hope because if it's neatly packaged, it's going to fall away as soon as we encounter any kind of real hardship. And so he wants us to search the scriptures. Mark wants us to find hope, to be reassured. You know, while he ends on a very sad and almost like, did, did they do it? No. If we look through the scriptures, like we just went through 1 Corinthians 15, obviously they didn't remain afraid. They overcame their fear and that they actually did tell. And so by wrestling with it, we see Christ clearly. We see how we've hated God and sinned against him. And that leads us to repentance. That leads us to a far greater gift than just chocolates on Easter Sunday. And it actually leads us to trust in the actual person of Jesus Christ, not merely the evidence we've been shown. So... Yeah, look, largely that was, I want to emphasize two things. And that is, we need to have a genuine faith in the resurrection. Like, we can't just simply say it as words and simply, oh, you know, everyone, especially, oh, billions of people say it, it must be true, or relying on those kinds of things. But to have a genuine faith in your own heart that you've wrestled with this fact and you've been like, yes, I believe Jesus rose from the dead. And trust me, there's plenty of things to wrestle with that, and I trust you, if you wrestle with it, you will find an answer. And I want you to have that need for a genuine faith, and better yet, to show in the second part that without the resurrection, we're hopeless. You know, you want to wrestle with this, because without it, we have no hope. And so, this is to focus on two things. And though, yeah, those being the two main things. So, If we affirm Jesus was risen from the dead, that he has forgiven you of your sins, then we have hope. But there's a very important thing to drive home here. As I said, billions of people do this every every year. And, you know, if there are billions of people doing it, then surely, you know, you'd imagine probably two in eight people you meet, probably a quarter of people you meet would be Christian. And if you can genuinely say that that's the case when you walk around everyday life, that's staggering. That's impressive. You hang around some really cool people. But I just don't really see that to be the truth. Even though we all affirm that Jesus rose from the dead, it's not just a simple fact of like one plus one equals two. It's not the same as that. But when we actually accept that the impossible is possible, that Jesus did the unbelievable, we should be changed. We should be different people from that moment on. Because if we continue to walk around, you know, affirming that Jesus rose from the dead and walk around like every single other person in the world who many of them actually don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. They might think he was a cool guy. They might think he was actually, might think he was a complete myth. But we shouldn't be walking in the same frame of mind as those people. And it's not that they're bad people or anything, but being, genuinely believing something like this should 
change you fundamentally as a person. Because it's when, you see, people who affirm this don't normally change, but people who truly believe it, who have wrestled with it, and come to the answer that, yes, I truly do believe, that's because the Holy Spirit's actually come in, came in and changed your heart. It's changed their hearts and made them believe. And he doesn't just come in and make you believe. He changes you from the inside out. You're a different person. And that's not to like lay condemnation on you. Obviously, we still walk and we're here to encourage each other. But the fact of, if we're still living like we were 10 years ago, you don't actually believe that Jesus rose from the dead. You might think it with all your heart, but you haven't actually sat down and wrestled with the fact. And so, you know, I just, I, I want to like do an analogy here. So I just, just imagine, you know, I'm, I'm late to this sermon right now. I was meant to be preaching, but I rock up at like nine. You guys are like, man, what are you doing? Where are you? We ready to get this done and dusted. I've got chocolate sitting at home that's melting. And so, you know, I walk in like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Um, you know, look, I, they're like, you know, and you're just like, why are you late? And so I'm like, okay, look, I, I was on my way here and my, my tire blew out. You know, I was just, just down the road, even though I technically came from three minutes away. Nonetheless, my tire blew. And so I was just changing it, pulled out my spare tire kit and I was doing it. And as I pulled one of the lug nuts off, it rolled out onto the road. And, you know, so I, I just ran out to go grab it. And, you know, just as I stand up, I didn't see that there was a 50-ton cattle truck right in front of me. And, well, it hit me. It ran over me. Um, so I'm really sorry. little inconvenience. That, that's why I was late. Now, the only logical conclusion to that is that you would think I'm a liar or a madman. You know, you would, you know, your only logical response to that would be like, how is that possible? You can't be hit by something that large. You can't have encountered something that large and not be changed. And so I put to you, what's bigger? The cattle truck or Jesus? God. And so to walk around saying that you've genuinely encountered the risen Christ and that you were the same person that you were 10 years ago when you maybe didn't believe or did believe, that just can't be true. Because that's not... Jesus is massive. And he, he's doing a work in our lives. And if you can't see the work, we're not saved based on the work, but he said he would be at work in us, that he will bring us to completion. And so we should be changing day by day. And by his grace, he will do that. Now, yeah, it's a rough thing, but it's a great thing because if we cleanse ourselves of this false belief and we now see our need to truly believe in Jesus, that he was raised from the dead, because we have to, otherwise we're condemned and still under a curse without any hope. And we are called to believe in the unbelievable, because otherwise we have no hope. So if we don't believe, we should be spending the rest of our lives in perpetual fear, because you are still under the condemnation of God. And that is a terrifying thing, you know. Like, to be under the wrath of God is not pretty. And, like, just as we talked about it, like, you... We all know the crucifixion story. Like, that is terrifying. That's where we all deserve to be. And so that's just a physical representation of God's wrath. And even still, that doesn't even cover it. And so it's a terrifying thing. But yet, we don't wrestle with it and continue to walk around as a... It's all good. <laughs> this may have seemed especially heavy for a Resurrection Sunday sermon. Um, and I know, yeah, normally we'd like it to be cheery and all those things. And 
I'm sure maybe the next one I'll do will be a lot cheerier. But I need to rid us of any false belief or half-cooked profession of Jesus' resurrection because otherwise I'm leaving you vulnerable to condemnation. Because you shouldn't be able to leave here today and think, yeah, just rose from the dead. No, like you should feel a need to actually wrestle with it. Well, fair enough, if you want to completely ignore it, that's up to you. That's fine, but don't stay in the middle. Don't, you know, if you don't genuinely believe, uh, you know, I'm sure some people still drag you along to an Easter service, but, you know, it's a scary thing. And for us Christians, yeah, who call yourselves Christians, I just, you know, and obviously there are many genuine Christians here. I don't want us to be lulled into a sense of security by the annual rhythms of Easter to be, you know, we all, we all do it. You know, we, we're somber on that Friday service, but then we come out of it and we think, oh, cross buns, yeah. Oh. You know, genuinely be thinking about Jesus' death. What, and the fact that he rose from the dead, and that, you know, that's not a normal thing to believe. That's astounding. And so, you know, when you're walking around, you should be, <laughs> you don't have to be a weird person, but by the fact that you believe it, you kind of are. And so I just want you to be aware of that. And don't be deceived from taking your eyes off Jesus. That's what, you know, all of this... I don't need to be lulled into that and be thinking of, you know, hot cross buns. You're allowed to think about hot cross buns. But don't forget about Jesus in it all. So we're left here now. Jesus, luckily, has turned away the wrath of God. He did raise and was risen, was risen from the dead. And he's taken the wrath of God upon himself. And now he's opened the door for us. We can experience peace with God. We can have communion with him now. Oh, man, that is just so good. And better yet, he can satisfy all our needs now. We, don't, we can walk in peace. We finally have hope. And, you know, while we should remember the hopelessness of that Easter Saturday, remember, oh, Resurrection Sunday, you're allowed to be happy. Oh, it's an awesome thing. But wrestle with the resurrection because that will actually lead to a happiness that will last the whole year and every year after that and into eternity and that's awesome so yeah you know if you are a christian continue to wrestle with it if you're not man jesus is standing here with open arms ready to take you in just confess your sins to him and man you'll have a a deeper joy than you've ever known and so yeah that's pretty much it for this Easter Sunday sermon so if you don't mind I'll just end in prayer and um, yeah Father we just thank you for all that you have done for us that man when your son was raised that you announced that he has conquered everything that he bore the sin for us on our behalf and that he was a worthy sacrifice and now he sits there with open arms ready to take us in saying no matter what state we're in no matter how hopeless we may think we are, that how far we fall short, oh, none of that matters, Lord. Your arms are open and ready to take us in. So we pray that you would lead us to repentance and that you would help us to see more of you. So do all these things, Lord, and we just pray that as we go about it, the rest of our Easter weekend, that we would think of you and that we would just, yeah, treasure all the things that you have given us, our family, and so much more, even more deeply, knowing that the resurrection is not a normal thing but it is a true gift. Um, So thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.